I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast recording for one final time. Here in March of 2021, Penn State Two weeks into their spring practice schedule, we've got a lot to catch up with you on spring practice, on pro day, on some recruiting. I have been away uh, doing some family time, unplugged, did my best to to stay away from the phones and the laptops and all that for about a week. Fortunately, my co-host, Sean Fitz, uh, was glued in the entire way, so he's going to help us catch up here on this episode. Sean, I, I wasn't sure. I was keeping an eye on the podcast app. When I was away, I thought one might pop up, and you were gonna, you know, dro- drop some monster episode. But I'm glad you you hung out, you hung out, and, and you waited until I got here so we could attack this thing together. Well, I didn't want to do it without you. It's just not the podcast without you. And uh, had a guest fall through last week, and uh, at that point, I was just like, okay, we'll just wait for Tyler to get back and get it going. Thanks for those of you that were patient about it. Uh, to those that weren't. Sorry about your luck, um, but we're back. We're, we're caught up. Uh, Tyler took his vacation very seriously. I'd say so seriously that when we reached out last week at Pro Day or about Pro Day to talk about Jason Away's forty, it barely registered on your radar, man. So you must have been doing some serious vacationing. You got the the thumbs up on the response uh, on the iMessage, and you weren't the only one, of course, to reach out about Jason. Uh, of course, everyone everyone reaches out to me about Jason, and no surprise to what he did out there. Um, you know, putting himself further onto the national radar, and you know, we can jump into this. It wasn't like a normal pro day setup that we had been accustomed to pre twenty twenty, where you know, you, me, and the like are you know standing on the sideline a few feet away from the NFL scouts. This was uh, one that that you followed along from home, like everybody else did on the beat. And I tell you what, Sean, you come away from this thing. We'll get into some of the numbers and the details. Uh, first off, Penn State's going to produce their first first-round pick on the defensive side of the football since 2010. They've got an excellent chance, it would seem, when you read through these numbers that Jason O.A. produced. That I know that a sack was not involved in, the, in, the, in those numbers for 2020, but for the first time since 2003, Sean, multiple first-round picks, very much on the table at this stage uh, for the Penn State and Indy Lions as we're, what, uh, three and a half weeks away from the first picks being announced. A lot of time for speculation there. Get right into the numbers. I mean, Jason Away was uh, freakish numbers across the board. And, And it's very interesting this year because we don't have the combine, which has a little bit different in terms of timing. You're relying on the scout numbers. You're relying on the uh, the team, the official team numbers. So I think if you looked everywhere in the country, it's been a little faster for everybody. So I think comparing these to combine numbers, close, but maybe not the exact same thing. But regardless, 6'5", 257, going 436 uh, four, in the 40, I think that's okay. I mean, you've got a pretty good idea that this guy can run. Uh, pretty amazing performance by Jason. 4-2-1 shuttle, uh, 11-2 broad, 39 vert. Uh, across the board, just incredible numbers. I mean, just top top 1% type numbers all over the place here. I, I don't know, man. It's it, it's so 
freakishly off the charts and you, and you know how scouts are, you know how coaches are, you think, okay, I get that guy. I can coach him up. I can make the difference. I can be the guy that uh, gets the sacks out of him. And, and that's going to be something that he's going to have to go in front of these teams and explain and talk a little bit about, okay, why weren't your numbers as much as they probably should be based on your other numbers? Um, I, I just, I, I think it, it can happen. I, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, terrifying to think when he puts it all together because he's only been playing football for what five years now what he can potentially be now it's all going to be potential you're all going to put it in that one category as as potentially down the line being a guy Um, but if he falls to a team at the end of the first round those teams are usually at the end of the first round for a good reason so I I think that would be the best case scenario for him uh, to to find himself a spot where he can take a year almost a a, a pseudo red shirt year in the NFL and, and find his way and again we've got three and a half weeks to speculate on this but but you knew he was going to run well. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't see it or believe it until you saw it right in front of you with that four three six. Um, but I love that. I mean, that four two one shuttle is something. Those explosion numbers with the eleven two broad and the thirty nine vert. I mean, sort of just checked every box. Uh, sort of a confirmation bias when you talk about what you, what kind of athlete you were expecting to come out on pro day. If you you know hide the name and the position and you read off those numbers, you know your direct your mind goes in off in a lot of direct directions. Like what 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 kind of player are we talking about? Are we it's talking a, it's about a, created, a wide receiver? It's, it's a created player, is what it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's one of those like you're like, all right, no one's watching. I'm creating my own player on Madden. Bump 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 up. Ninety nine, ninety eight. Now what you don't have here, and, and and it's something that has come up with every interview I've seen with Jason, and and I'm sure every interview he's had with NFL franchises in, during these last few months is you know why wasn't the the production there why 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 didn't he fill the stat sheet with sacks and and all that stuff as a junior player or as a redshirt sophomore although he was uh, an all big 10 pick um and, and those questions are gonna have to need to be defined Th- those are questions that are going to come up for whichever general manager and head coach ultimately ends up picking him especially if that's the first round there's going to be people who you know, point to the, uh, the those in- extraordinary numbers, um, and I think because we were expecting them, maybe they don't come off as so extraordinary to, to those who have followed Penn State and have kind of followed along with Jason's journey. Because you almost expected something like this. I don't know about four three six at almost two hundred and sixty pounds. That's still hard for me to reconcile with. Well, that's because it, it just doesn't make sense physically. Yeah, it doesn't make yeah. sense. It's like a glitch in the matrix. But I, I think when you look at, at the overall body of work for Jason, it takes me right back to his recruiting process when he first started to, to jump off the page. You watch that junior film he put together at Blair Academy, his first year playing football. I'll, I'll remind folks, he went there to play basketball. They had a rule at that school where you had to play a, sec- a second sport. And, and and that was very quickly taken care of by Jim Saylor, the head coach of football, said, you're you're, you're on my team now as well. I think Jim watched, probably put that rule in there, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you, you watch the film, and, you know, he's running around, you know, clearly a guy who's just completely reliant, reliant on his athleticism, doesn't really have a set position, um, and, and, you know, the production wasn't immense. All of a sudden, a couple dozen offers before he plays his next down of football as a senior, and you're working your way through a recruiting process where, you know, I've said this story before, I, I don't remember if you were there, but he's out there running routes with, with Pat Fryermuth. At tight end at, at Nike's opening regional in New Jersey, and so he doesn't even know he's going to play defensive end. He's not locked in there yet, and that's going up to his senior year. And yet it's Ohio State, Notre Dame, Penn State at the forefront of this recruitment. 
And that's exactly why, because if you match the production and you said, what is this kid on the football field when he was 17, 18 years old, you would not necessarily say this is a kid who's going to have the top tier options at the college football level and his choice to make. And then you kind of come here at 22 years old, Jason, what he did on the football field at Penn State, you know, what actually developed over the course of his time here tangibly and you say, well, this wouldn't really seem to add up to a guy who's going to be selected uh, in the first 32 picks and get three, four, five million dollars plus of guaranteed money right off the bat. But guess what? It's the same storyline thread here. That athleticism is just so far beyond the scope of, of what a lot of the guys are bringing to the table. And I think it's important to, to mention Jason is a guy who who knows what he doesn't know. He's always been very upfront with that. I think he's always tried to present himself as a coachable figure. Uh, that was this, that was the, kind of the mantra he had as a recruit. He wanted to find the right defensive line coach that could teach him how to play the, fo- the game of football because he understood he was a basketball guy transitioning. I think if he continues to carry that mindset, he's going to win over the NFL franchise. I just have a hard time seeing someone not either trading up toward the back of the first round or falling in love with him enough to use their pick there in the first round. Like you said, we, we've got weeks to speculate on this, but I mean, these numbers are just, you can't ignore them. And, and Mel Kuyper himself was anticipating this and he said, yes, I have a guy with no sacks going in the first round. Because this guy's just a unicorn. But I, but I think what you said there is great because you look back to his high school days and he, the production wasn't there, obviously. Uh, but Larry Johnson was there. Sean Spencer was there, two of the best defensive line coaches in the country saying, okay, I don't care if you if you don't have sacks at the high school level. We're going to take you. We're going to mold you. We're going to turn you into this. They're football coaches. I mean, you, you have these same guys at the, at the NFL level that are you know, saying the same thing. I can take this guy, I can mold him into what I want him to be, to be and we can make it work. And I think that they that he can make it work in the back end of the first round. Well, J- Jason figured it out late in high school. Uh, folks were figuring out Micah Parsons was special right off the bat when he got uh, into the high school level, had an offer as a freshman from Penn State. We know what he's done over the last five, six, seven years to, to prove himself and put himself in this spot. Six foot three, 246 pounds. He also goes sub four, four in the 40 yard dash, Sean. Um, this, this is a guy, and, and they, you know, we've heard the jokes for, for, for a few years now who's faster, Jason or Micah? A few years ago, when we were having that conversation and they were coming in as freshmen and, and they were showing off what they could be, never could have imagined that we'd see. Both Jason Away and Micah Parsons in a pro day situation go sub for four, but that's exactly what you got. And what another showcase moment for Penn State's strength and condi- conditioning uh, department, uh, headlined by Dwight Galt. Yeah, that's the real winner in this once again. Dwight Galt, uh, when you get to combine season, when you get to pro day season, his name comes up all over the country in terms of. You know who develops these guys the best? Who gets the most out of their physical potential uh, from a testing standpoint? It's always you know Galt's one of the guys that's always mentioned. So uh, kudos to him; he did it once again. Parsons is interesting. It was funny because when he came out of high school, I, I said you know he's an elite prospect, he's an elite talent, everything like that. He's not a freak athlete, and he really developed as an athlete when he was at Penn State. And that's something I don't think a a lot of people have captured because he was the five-star guy, I think the number three guy, number three player in the country by 24-7 sports. Um, But, you know, you you see that 4-3-9 and it's it's fantastic. That 10-6 broad and that 34 vert, 
they weren't there when he was a high school prospect. He was, yeah, I mean, he was a really, really good athlete. And I mean, top, top percentage athlete, but at the same time, you didn't expect him to come out. You probably expected him to come out, run a four or five. Uh, you know, you, when he's one of those guys, when you got on the field, you could see that speed show up because he didn't lose much of it when he got into the field. But for him to come out and run a four, three, nine, uh, that's, that, that's something special right there, especially his size. He looked good doing it. He looked comfortable doing it, which I think that's something that we probably don't talk about enough is, is you see guys that are out there running like it's the, the hundred meters in, in Rio at the Olympics or something like that. And, you know, he, he looked like he was, you know, out there chasing down a ball carrier, uh, a little bit, a little bit of trouble with the shuttle. I think four, four, I think he slipped a couple of times. Uh, that'll be interesting to see if that's parsed and, and probably looked at too closely by NFL scouts. It was funny watching the big 10 network broadcast and that's how we watched it. We didn't have any special feed or anything like that. They were talking every time he slipped or every time he, you know, made a wrong move. Ah, I don't care. The tape is great. It's kind of the, the polar opposite of what we, what we saw about, uh, Jason away. So it'd be interesting to see how that, uh, that lands over the next couple of weeks. The character issues uh, keep coming up. I mean, that's something that, uh, he spoke about. I thought he spoke fairly well on, on what his situation was and how he's handled that. Um, but th- it's not going to go away. I mean, this is something where if you're in the NFL draft uh, process, you're, you're looking at ways not only to help your own team, but hurt others. And if you want to put that stuff out there, put that stuff out there. And that's kind of how it works. And it's just kind of a, ca- a side casualty of the whole situation. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that when we talk about Jason Oway meeting with teams and answering for the sacks, Micah is going to have all these questions about his character. They're going to have questions about him opting out and things like that. So when you're going into draft prep, when you're going into these interviews, which I think are very important for these guys, if you're going to spend a first round pick on one of them, um, you got to have those things prepared. And I think that's what his next couple of weeks is all about. The shuttle time is not ideal, like you said, but the, but the range that he has exhibited and, and out there on the field in game time, in limited action, uh, you know, uh, not being able to see him as a junior is something that I'm sure will bother some uh, NFL scouts just in terms of being able to have more of a sample size, not necessarily because of the decision that he made, but that's the reality. And right now, you still have a hard time seeing him, uh, you know, f- slip too far in this draft. Now, because of the position, you know, linebackers are not a, you know, that that linebackers are, are in some ways like the running back when you look at that where they are selected in the NFL draft these days. It's not a prioritized spot. Um, you know, Tampa Bay Buccaneers went really high with Devin White a couple of years ago, and and that paid off. I think that maybe helps the, the case for Parsons a little bit um, because you saw what a guy like Devin White can do very quickly in the NFL and making an impact there. Um, but you don't see linebackers go top 10 very often. I think uh, Isaiah Simmons last year, who was like that safety linebacker hybrid out of Clemson, I think he went ninth. He was the top linebacker off the board. Um, with the way we're starting to see quarterbacks pile up, it seems, Sean, there's like a line to get these quarterbacks, and then you figure out everything else in the 2021 NFL draft. Um, I don't know where that leaves Parsons because there's a heck of a group of, of, of past targets, and you know you you include uh, Pitts in that conversation as a past target, but then the receivers, of course, as well. Um, you know, I, I don't know where that leaves Micah Parsons. I mean, I, I continue to kind of point toward. Yeah, the Denver Broncos. Is is this maybe an heir apparent kind of situation for Von Miller and Micah Parsons? And Von Miller was a guy actually 
that, that I compared with Micah Parsons when he was coming out of Harrisburg High School. You look at where they are right now measurement-wise. Uh, Vaughn Miller, two, 246 pounds, uh, about six foot three, coming out of Texas A&M. He was the number two pick in that draft, I believe, behind Cam Newton. His shuttle time, though, I just uh, did double-check. That was a 4-1 range shuttle, so there's a little bit of a difference there. But I, I continue to say that that you know, with Micah Parsons – it's it's a he's getting hurt by the position and I think I don't think that that's any surprise to anybody um but but you know you put um in a, a guy who's like an elite level all-american talent at uh offensive tackle or, or at a quarterback of course or even receiver it seems there's just the value system is skewed when you're talking about that versus a linebacker or a running back right now in the way that the NFL is trending. But I think what Micah can do off the edge, and that's one thing I think you would probably agree here, that's something that was that, that was left in the pocket at Penn State a bit, was his ability to go rush the passer. Thought we were going to see a lot of that as a junior in 2020. Didn't, didn't get a chance to see any of it. I think that's a spot that you circle and say, if he can get that done in the NFL – you're talking about one of those, uh, you know, very versatile weapons that can be a linchpin uh, for a Super Bowl caliber NFL defense down the road. That's something I talked, I've talked about with Brent, uh, Brent Pry, in that he wanted to use him as a pass rusher. Obviously, with with their scheme, I mean, he wanted him as a pass rusher, as a coverage guy. You know, he did everything so well, and I think that's probably where your most marketable kind of like in Isaiah Simmons is where you can just you can play any role that you're put into, and Micah has has been that guy. Now, of course, he didn't have that uh, that final season where we got to see that out of him, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's more. Uh, his draft position is going to be more uh, about those quarterbacks and about where those other guys land too uh, than, than his actual talent level. The, uh, the two other names here, guys who were seniors last year, they weren't the, uh, the, the, the headliner participants at Pro Day, but both put out a, a good show uh, on, on, on the defense side of the football. Shaka Tony, Lamont Wade, um, you know, guys that came in and, and, and transformed in different ways during their time with Penn State football. Shaka blowing up physically, becoming that, that every down defensive end. Lamont Wade transitioning from cornerback to safety. What were your takeaways from these guys? Because it certainly seems uh, like Shaka Tony helped himself. The question there is, where does a defensive mind see him at the NFL level? Um, and and the more avenues there are to playing time, the better that would that would you know play out for for Shaka for Shaka in terms of actually seeing the field as a rookie. But you know who's buying and investing in Shaka Tony as an outside linebacker? Who wants to see him with his hand in the dirt? And who says let's find out if this guy can do both for us? Well, he he came out with that four five one forty, and I think surprised some people. And not only that, but he ran through drills with Micah and, and Jason, and we we saw the athletic numbers that those guys put up. And you know, really wasn't much of a drop off. And Shaka, you could argue the most productive. Um, you know, uh, I, I actually it's probably not even an argument uh, with Owe as as far as a defensive end in terms of production. But ten uh, eight broad and thirty nine vert are very very good numbers for him. Uh, about in line with what he had tested at Penn State, maybe a little bit better. Um, so that that's going to be the thing. I mean, he's not an exceedingly long prospect. He's not a guy that's uh, you know six two two forty two. 
is kind of right in the middle for there. And and can he be that guy that can just rush off the edge as a, as a three, four linebacker? I think he can be, I mean, I think it's, it's going to be a what fifth to seventh round pick, something like that. Um, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but at the same time, um, you know, he's going to be a guy that, uh, they look to as maybe a practice squad guy or something like that while they can figure out what he can be and figure out how he fits uh, that particular system. So I think he helped himself. I think he showed that, you know, he was a plus athlete as well. Um, especially with that size, Lamont Wade, Five nine one ninety uh, would seem to me that he slimmed down a little bit. Ran a four four seven, which I'll be honest with you, probably a little bit faster than everybody expected. Uh, nine ten vert, thirty five and a half vert. Or excuse me, nine ten broad, thirty five and a half vert. Uh, I think good numbers for Lamont across the board. Uh, you're going to have to go to, get out there. I think he sees himself as a cornerback still. Um, get out there and, and convince uh, some people that he maybe can be a nickelback, maybe be just be a versatile guy. Um, I think that's got to be his ticket if he wants to catch on anywhere. I, I still see him as an undrafted guy, um, but at the same time, I think he helped himself and caught the, the eyes of some scouts. And you didn't mention Will Fries. I know we, we kind of went defense, but Will was out there uh, on, on pro day. I thought he did well for himself, more than solid there. 6'6", 309, uh, 24 reps on the bench, 5'3", 340. That 4'3", uh, excuse me, 4'5", I'm, I'm struggling with these four decimals today, um, but the 4'5", shuttle um, is the thing that caught my eye. At that size, uh, that's that's moving. Um, and a 9'7", broad, uh, there's a lot of athleticism with this guy, and that's not, not something we really saw over the last couple of years. I know Will has been much maligned in terms of his play over the last couple of seasons, but uh, played tackle, played guard, played a, an awful lot of football at Penn State, uh, somebody's going to give him a shot. And I, I don't know that he's going to work his way into the back half or the back end of that draft, but somebody at that size and uh, moving like that, if he's healthy, he's going to give him uh, a chance to, to make it work in camp. And circling back very quickly to Lamont Wade, a guy who, as he distanced himself or as Penn State distanced him from that nickel roll, during the final, during the second half of the season last year, the focus was on safety. Got the ball in his hands as a kick returner. You add this, a guy who's, I would say, momentum moving in the right direction compared to where he was, you know, early last season. He, special teams to me is going to be the key for Lamont Wade. What what can he offer to an NFL team? Um, special teams start there and and see where you're at after year one, and 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 we'll see if he gets that shot. He's a guy that uh, certainly um, a, a bit of a not a bit of a but a polarizing figure at Penn State. I'd be curious to see um, where he lands. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a major component. Uh, for, you know whether it's whether he gets to pick where he goes or whether someone takes a flyer on him in the late round I think that that's going to be important to monitor um, a couple other names that we're not diving into here including a recent guest of the show Pat Fryermuth uh, Michael Mennett uh, I guess those guys still still working their way back f- from some setbacks um, uh, Fryermuth a participant but didn't get the testing results and and, and Mennett uh, needed to needed to get cleaned up a little bit coming out of the season right yeah, that's uh, I think a situation that he's had some injury problems for the last year and a half. They really haven't been, uh, you know, big on the radar or anything like that. But something that I think that you know he needed to take care of, and probably at this point, as we saw with Firemuth as well, if you're not 100, percent it's not doesn't really make much sense to go out there and and put on a performance where you can't give you know your best performance out there. Firemuth, I thought it looked good running uh, running routes. He was running with the Steelers tight ends coach. I don't know if there's any foreshadowing there or not, but they seemed to like what they saw uh, uh, from scouts that were there. I, I I don't know how much you can take away from it. Uh, he, he looked good in shorts and a t-shirt, but you, you've seen the film with him. You know that that's what it's going to be about with him. 
Um, by the way, I mentioned at the top, been a long time since multiple Penn State players were picked in the first round. We'll we'll readdress this conversation. We'll eventually have our prediction predictions for landing spots for these guys a few weeks down the line. I know you love that guessing game. But where things stand now, the final day of March, what do you feel about OA and Micah Parsons both going in round one? Are you taking that bet or do you think OA ends up in round two? I, I, I'm not ready to take that bet yet just because always, you know, production is something that, that he's going to be have to answer for. Um, I think that, that that's a situation where, you know, he could be one of those guys that somebody trades up for at the, the beginning of the second round or even, you know, the very end of the first round. But I don't think he's a surefire pick, uh, first round pick quite yet. Uh, the numbers, the testing numbers obviously say that he is. Um, but I think you're going to have to take some convincing when you're investing that level of, uh, of contract numbers and things like that. Um, I, I think you're going to have to take, take some more time to, I guess, figure out the entire draft board. As you said with Parsons, I think, you know, you know, no doubt Parsons is in that first round, but it's more about the quarterbacks and everybody in front of him. I think OA is probably a similar situation. We know how valuable pass rushers are off the edge. But at the same time, I mean, there's a lot of value in the back half of that round in the offensive line. Um, receivers are like always there at the 32nd pick or the 31st pick or whatever it is. Um, so I, I think that's probably what it's going to come down to is some other guys. And I think he's going to be right on that bubble. So I don't think he's a surefire guy in the first round right now. I could could see that changing in a couple of weeks, but uh, I don't know that he's quite there as a, as a guy that you know is going to be gone day one. And then maybe that becomes a situation where you have teams maybe looking to trade up at the start of, of day two if Fryermuth and Onoway are in that conversation and, and you see like the best of the rest after round one. Uh, both those guys, I think, would be near the top of that list. But I'm certainly not discounting Jason after what he did uh, to, to land inside the first round. By the way, two of the last three years, two Penn State players land inside the top 50. Yitor Grossmatos and KJ Hamler in the first half of the second round last year. And then back in 2018, you had Saquon Barkley go number two. Mike Kosicki was next at number 42 overall. But as I said, 18 years, Sean, the lifespan of a current Penn State freshman since this program last produced a more than one first rounder in the same year. I'll say with 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 uh, OA, uh, never underestimate ego with a, with a football coach, and that's something that is really gonna you know I could see like I I don't see this happening, but it, you can envision a scenario where he goes you know sixteenth or something like that because one right. guy thinks okay this is the guy that that I want to you know build my defensive attack around as far as you know getting to the quarterback and getting around the edge and all that kind of stuff that you know somebody can we'll say overvalue that sort of thing and uh ego is is a hell of a drug man when you're a college or when you're a football coach at any level it's going to be something that uh you know always throws throws somebody off throws a draft uh one of your mock drafts completely out the window just because it, it happens like that where did the raiders pick they always used to they always just used trying to, make to figure that out in my thing. head yeah <laughs> um well that that's that's good stuff on the pro day i know there was a bunch of content on that last week and, and it may be some rehash for for some of you but um uh, a lot to like another you know feather in the cap for, for dwight galt um, and, and, you know, Micah Parsons and Jason Oway delivered those fireworks that Galt had promised earlier. And as we just said, other guys showed up for themselves as well. Um, Sean, take a quick break here and we'll get back into some spring ball with the guys who remain on this roster. Um, quarterback dynamics in play here. Some safety talk as that competition builds. Uh, we'll be right back here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast introducing the two-way v4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell each step feels explosive delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience maximum comfort throughout the game it's lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com Penn State continues to work through its practice schedule for the spring, which will culminate April 17th in Beaver Stadium uh, with a final scrimmage. Sean, naturally, the conversation swirling around that quarterback room, three guys on scholarship. We've hammered home that point over the course of this offseason. Uh, Mike Yersich, Sean Clifford, James Franklin, all trying to get on the same page. You got Taquan Roberson, Christian Veyu working in that quarterback room as well. Coming out of, of the most recent availabilities with Franklin, by the way, we're going to get him tonight on a Wednesday night. We're going to get Taylor Stubblefield, wide receivers coach. That will be coming your way online, 247.com, coverage and videos. But based on the availability that happened when I was away, um, anything stand out to you about about how those dynamics have played out thus far, uh, Yersich, Clifford, and company? Yeah, there's there's really not a whole lot to take out of it. I mean, James Franklin talked about it a little bit last week. Sean Clifford, we had earlier in the week. Uh, it, just a few interesting points there. Uh, Clifford is – it's, it's so funny. James – really, really tries to avoid talking about players and how they're performing. You know, there's, there was a couple of things during his, his uh, press conference on Wednesday where he alluded to some players doing some nice things. He was asked directly about Clifford, really didn't say much about how he's throwing the ball, really didn't say much about how he's handling the offense. You just focus on the, the small things. He's, he's asking good questions. He's leaning on his, his experiences and his maturity. He says Mike Yersich is impressed with uh, Clifford's ability to process information, take it from the meeting room onto the field. So, I don't really think that there's a ton that you can take away from Clifford so far. I don't think, I mean, it's not effusive praise, obviously. It's not uh, anything really negative, but I think they're trying to, to, to hold that tight right now in terms of uh, what the expectations are for that. Because, you know, putting in a new offense and, and, and Franklin kind of alluded to it, 
it's not all that different from what he's used to. Everybody, you know, I think I think I alluded to this last fall with that dirty little secret that everybody runs the same kind of offense. Everybody runs the same plays. You just call them something different. You maybe have a different alignment, things like that. It, the same concepts are, are in play across college football. And I think that's something that Franklin tried to hammer home on Wednesday is, you know, everybody just kind of does the same thing. So the, the, the big stark changes about putting in the new offense maybe aren't there. Maybe that's done to temper expectations. Maybe that's done for another reason. Who knows? Um, but I think the focus has more been about Yersich and what he's trying to do. Um, he he wants to do everything right away, wants to be aggressive and all that kind of stuff just right out of the gate in spring ball to kind of get the eyes away from, you know, how's, how is this actually happening on a day-to-day basis? So I think that that's something that we probably wouldn't know, probably wouldn't even know with a typical blue-white game. Um, so I, while all the focus is on Yersich and, and Clifford, I don't know how much we've taken away from it in the first two weeks of camp. And of course, the the one time we have gotten Yersich did not reference Sean Clifford or anybody else in the offensive room by name directly. So uh, a, a lot of reading between the lines here and 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 kind of uh, speaking to the players is is a good avenue here. And and, and speaking with some guys this week, Sean Clifford and Jahan Dotson, um, they, you know, continue to reiterate that that there has been an uptick in what they call juice, uh, you know, f- from uh, the new offensive coordinator. There's there's a, a fiery mentality. Uh, from this guy, Mike Yersich coming in and, and bringing that kind of energy and, and excitement on a day in day out guy. Uh, Jahan Dotson called him a character, and, and they, you know, someone they can't wait to work with. And Kirk Sharaka, if it, you know, I know he was kind of hearing gone in Happy Valley for a lot of fans, but if you were able to sit down and, and watch some of, uh, you know, the conversations we had with him, and and I got a little history that goes back to Rutgers with him. He's not that quote unquote juice guy, you know. He he is he's that that's not who he is. Uh, but I mean, he, he's he was brought in for a reason. He's he's you know he's got a pretty darn good track record. But you know he's gonna talk to you and and he'll he'll get into the X's and O's. But he's gonna be pretty calm, pretty consistent. You've seen some of the videos that Penn State has put out with Mike Yersich running around the field hollering. Not the first impression that we got from him in the media session, uh, but all the players continue to say that uh, it, it it has raised the level. And someone also had said it. Dwight Galt uh, said that there is a different kind of uh, bar that you know that that has now been set in terms of the energy that's expected to be brought by not just the quarterbacks but the entire offensive unit. Um, I don't want to say that was a slight to Kirk Sharaka. It just seems like that was something that was very notable about Mike Yersich. And, and ultimately, no one's going to give a damn about the juice or the excitement if the team's not going out and putting a bunch of points in September. But that's what we're hearing right now. So that's what we're passing along. Yeah, that that stuff is often overstated. It's it's interesting. You got Kirk Sharaka, a guy that's you know probably you would liken to a chess player, and Mike Yurcich, a guy that's out there playing paintball or something like that. Uh, so I, I think that while we get in all these cliches, uh, we we talked about Yurcich being, or I, I guess what Franklin called Mike Yurcich the mad scientist last week. I think he called somebody had called Kirk that last year. So uh, I, I guess we're just recycling these things now. It's it is what it is. It's it's the spring. That's kind of what you expect, and it's kind. Of a, a diversion from what's actually going on in the field. As I said, you, you you listen to these things long enough, you can pick up on what he's trying to say. And and oftentimes, especially during the season, Franklin's pretty direct with what he has to say. I know people want to try and read between the lines, and sometimes he's actually saying what you need to hear. Um, and people still then, then then people don't believe it. But that's kind of where we're at in this process. It's it's just traveling around the sun, man. That's kind of where we're at uh, with uh, with following up on these spring. Uh, 
the, the spring storylines. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to take a ton out of this offense, a ton out of Sean Clifford yet. Uh, James Franklin was asked about Taquan Roberson. That was, uh, I thought, a nice little uh, diversion from from the Clifford stuff. And, you know, you kind of got this idea that he's in a battle right now for that backup job. Christian Veyer has come in there and done some nice things. Um, and it's it's consistency. It's, it's the thing that you, when you have a young player like Roberson, and Roberson's what, going to be a third-year redshirt freshman? You're the one that tracks that. That's not me. Uh, but uh, he, Stop he's trying a guy to work that, redshirt into it. Just third-year freshman. Third year yeah. freshman. There we are. Um, he's a guy that you you kind of change the expectations for based on that and based on the room and based on the fact that Will Levis is not there to, to be that buffer anymore because you kind of take off those kid gloves when you're talking about uh, Roberson in that, okay – Last year, the only time you're clamoring for him is if you're up 30 points at the end of the game, get him some meaningful, quote unquote, meaningful reps or whatever. This year, it's kind of like, okay, you're one snap away. I mean, you're one injury away. You're one one play away from going in. So, okay, we're going to stop treating you as this this kid and start treating you as a guy that needs to be prepared, guy needs to go in there. And that's kind of been the change that I've seen with, with Roberson over the last couple of months is, is really not that approach of being a backup. It's got, it's got to be the guy that needs to compete. And uh, we, we've talked about it enough on this podcast and on the site about you need somebody out there with Clifford that can compete and try and take that job. Because, you know, from what we saw last year, it's far from a sure thing that he can be the guy that that leads this team. So needs to be more consistent, needs to take that jump or take that leap and, and be a guy that, uh, you know, you would be comfortable putting out there. And I don't think that was the case last year. And it's going to have to be the case, uh, even if Penn State goes into the portal and finds a veteran or something like that. It has to be the case this year when you when you're talking about Taquan Roberson and can he command a huddle? That's that's part of this conversation too. The, the you, you want to make sure that he can throw passes on, on the field and, and and dictate your offense as needed. Uh, if because he, he is the next man in, but but can he also go in there and command a huddle and lead drives and and, and not get lost in the fray? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm I, I I may be wrong here. We may have I, we may have gotten him once last year. But Taquan Roberson has spent a lot of time away from the spotlight. And Sean Clifford has spent a lot of time in the spotlight, including this week. And he's getting questions about his benching and he's dealing with all these different things. Uh, Taquan Roberson hasn't had that kind of microscope on him. It's starting to, to, to move in that direction because, as you said, with Levis gone, you know, one play away, that is the narrative right now with Roberson. I think from the Penn State staff perspective, if you're moving toward the second half of this spring practice schedule and you're finding yourself spending more time comparing Roberson and Veyu than Roberson and Clifford, that's a big red flag to me because Roberson's a 21-year-old who has spent significant time on your roster. He was an early enrollee uh, you know, more than two years ago. Uh, he's traveled with the team. He's been in different Big Ten stadiums. Has not seen the live bullets in a long time, though, whereas Veyu... Didn't have a senior season. He's 18 years old. Uh, what you're getting from him right now, you should be you, you should be viewing as a bonus to the situation because he was able to get to campus early with your new offensive coordinator. I feel like if you're comparing those two guys and saying who's the, who's our better backup versus who's our better starter right now, that could be telling and that could lead you to your next move in the transfer portal. Absolutely, absolutely, and and five months from I guess from today. 
or this week, or I don't have a calendar in front of me, uh, you're going to Wisconsin to open your season. And that's yeah, certainly notable when you talk about uh, tough places to play for a quarterback. So you want to have that sorted out by then. Um, and, and and as we've mentioned before, no reinforcements on the way. Your reinforcement is going through spring ball right now. Um, you know, and, and I'm talking about a 2021 quarterback, obviously. Um, so I, it's it's just one of those things where you've got to you've got to make sure that these guys are prepared not only for their role, and I think you could right now safely say Clifford starter, Roberson backup, Bayou uh, a third string guy, but not only prepare them for those roles, but prepare them to take the take it from the guy in front of them, and that's uh, that's not an easy thing to do. It's uh, we talk all all the time about uh, how. We overplay stuff and we talk about themes more so than actual reality. It's not a very easy thing to do at all. No, and and you just look at the front end of the schedule. You're going to have a very strong indication of what you're getting out of the 23-year-old Sean Clifford in September. Going to Wisconsin, playing a quality opponent in Ball State, and you're playing an SEC foe in Auburn. This is not, uh, you know, you're, you're not facing a, a, a series of teams that you're going to be double-digit uh, favorites against week in, week out in September, like some of the years we've seen where it's kind of a tune-up process. Throw the tune-up stuff out the window. Sean Clifford needs to come out of the gate looking like he's ready to lead this team in, in a positive direction. And if he's not, I mean, you can't afford any kind of spiral, and 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 I just, I, I really, you just really wonder where Penn State's mind is mindset is going to be coming out of this. Is Taquan Roberson clearly a guy who can be their number two, maybe have to be their number one if Sean Clifford isn't going to take a step forward? Um, because you can't just keep putting Sean Clifford out there if it's not working. Not with this schedule, not with the way it shapes out, not with what you're going to learn early. But if it's a point where you're feeling very timid about putting Taquan Roberson in, then I really see no solution unless Christian Veyer is a super freshman that we weren't anticipating. Then seeing what you can find in that transfer portal, and then you run up, then you end up running quarterback draws. And uh, yeah, but if you if you haven't googled it by now, one correction: they do get Auburn at home, uh, which I think is actually a pretty big deal. Um, Did I say some- they go to Auburn? You said you go to they go to Auburn, and I oh. had to double check that to 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 check my travel plans because uh, that's that would be two huge trips right off the bat. But no, uh, no, they get yeah. they get Auburn at home in a transition, uh, you know, a coaching transition there. So I think it's actually a pretty good time to catch Auburn. But at the same time, it's still a high level SEC program coming to your house uh, early in the early in a to- coaching tenure. So you're not sure what to expect. Uh, but yeah, moving on to the other side of the ball, a lot of attention on the safety spot, and rightfully so uh, this spring. That's something that we let our notes with last week in terms of uh you know who who was making moves there and it seems like uh you know that came to fruition and James Franklin said that uh Jair Brown has has done some really nice things for them uh leading the team in takeaways this spring and you know that's important i think brown probably gives you a little bit more potential back there than sutherland sutherland's kind of that that straight line guy that's probably not going to get too high or too low i think brown can make some plays for you uh, opposite jaquan brisker and that's been something that you know we've heard through the duration of camp and into last week, Terry Smith talked about it a little bit as well. Um, but Jair Brown, if if he can be a guy that that makes that leap, you know, like we saw Brisker make uh, from year one to year two, especially with that that extra season, uh, I think that could be a big deal for Penn State. I mean, we might be looking at the culmination of uh, a really, really impressive underdog story. He wrote about that last year, right before he enrolled in the summer. You know, he was very close to going to a Division three college football program coming out of high school. I mean, that, that that's where it was for him. 
opted to end up going to Lackawanna, uh, plays the season with Jaquan Brisker, and, and now they're reunited in the Penn State defensive backfield. And Brisker, uh, always happy to lend some insight on his uh, former teammate and, and once again teammate at the college level. Um, you know, a lot of excitement about what he's been able to do on the practice field. And, and you heard some of that from Jahan Dotson as well, um, a guy who is is proving to, to you know be able to get his hand on the football and, and create some turnovers. And I think Mark said this when we were kind of reviewing some some spring, uh, some spring topics. You know, the ability to, to force turnovers has been an issue for this Penn State squad. Um, if you can get a, you know, if you can pair someone at, at, at like Jaquan Brisker with a Jair Brown, an accountable safety who's going to be able to do everything he's asked to do, not only seventy five percent of it, and and we don't know. I mean, we, we got to see him out there in game action with this role. But to me, it, this is such a breaking point for this defensive, Sean. If you can get someone out there and accountable and be able to do everything they're tasked with, it opens up a lot for this defense. And if you can't, I just see it repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly hurting this team. Third downs. It, it just kind of takes me back to where it was a couple of years ago. Uh, I thought it was better last year for the most part, but wasn't it toward the tail end of that 2019 season, even back in 2018? It felt like there were so many back-breaking issues uh, that had to do with miscommunication at safety. There's a lot going into here. You got a new, a new coach, but I'm very in, in, encouraged by hearing so much about Jair Brown because they're not doing this by accident. It is not a, you know, a strategy for everyone to keep pointing to him. He's clearly making an impression in year two on campus. Yeah, and I think that when we talk about what this defense can be, I mean, Mark even said that that was one of his things that he was watching closely this spring was was forcing turnovers. And to me, they're not there yet. I mean, they've, they've got to figure out the little things before they can get to turnovers. Um, and, and I think if you put those guys back there, if you put Brisker and Brown back there, you have potential for turnovers, but you got to do the little things right. And I think that's one of the big reasons that Sutherland started the spring as the starter was Penn State thinks he does a lot of things right in terms of, uh, you know, just kind of solid and steady back there. And sometimes that's what you need. Uh, now I think Brown gives you a few more options. Uh, and I think he can be steady as well. Um, but, you know, we really saw some ups and downs from him last year, similar to what we saw from Jaquan Brisker in his first season. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's, uh, something, certainly something to to, to take into account, we talk about, you know, at every level, there's questions. Defensive end, huge question in terms of depth. Linebacker, you're rolling out, what, five scholarship linebackers this spring. Um, and safety uh, is, is just a huge one. Um, so you got to figure that one out. I think that affects your your play-to-play, game-to-game basis more than those other positions right now because you're talking about finding a starter, finding a consistent player back there versus finding a two-deep or a three-deep. And you're doing it with a coach who who didn't recruit any of these guys to campus, right? So you know you throw that aspect in, and uh, Poindexter, um, you have written down here um, bringing bringing some buzz of his own to the field, some juice, if you will. There yes. it is. Uh, you know what? This is something when he was hired. Uh, Penn State hasn't had this, and, and maybe it's coming back with Yursich. Uh, it's definitely coming back with Poindexter in terms of when you walk into Haluba or wherever they're practicing, and you can hear one voice. That was usually <laughs> Sean Spencer. I don't think that there's any question about that whatsoever. Um, I think it's going to be Poindexter here moving forward, and I think that that's probably something. While we tend to overrate some some crazy things. On a day-to-day basis, I don't think this can be overstated. I think they've missed that, and I think that that's been something that you know players. Some players respond to you know players respond to different types of coaching and teaching styles. I, I think that this is a, a situation where you you can figure out that 
you know, you can be loud. You can be this guy. You can feed off of him and you can go from it. Tim Banks obviously was not that guy. Tim Banks more of a schematic guy, a quiet guy. Even when you're talking just a normal conversation with Tim Banks, very quiet guy. Um, so, you know, maybe a complete 180 is necessary there. And it seems like Poindexter is probably that guy right now. As I said, if he shows up to a recruiting event on the field on a motorcycle, then he officially replaces Sean Spencer. Until then, he's only working his way toward that point. Um, in terms of veteran leadership, we mentioned Jaquan Brisker being back. He's a guy settled in now as a third-year player. Castro Fields, three Castro Fields, uh, a fifth-year cornerback for you. And then Jahan Dotson, a fourth-year junior. All three of these guys we had questions about when the season closed last year, Tariq Castro feels was a mystery because he was unavailable for much of the year. The second, the, the, the last six games or so did not play a brisker with a strong finish. You think, okay, does he turn pro Jahan Dotson leads everyone in the big 10 in receiving? Does he turn pro? We, we learned this week, brisker Dotson, both available. There was a FaceTime call. Those three were engaged on it, bouncing off some ideas with each other. I don't want to go down the line and say that anyone was personally swayed because this is an individual decision that you need to make with your family. But it sure sounds like the one thing that each of these guys echoed off each other in the past week through these availabilities in Castro Fields, Brisker, and Dotson is that 0-5 start and that mess of a situation that developed in 2020 that's not how they wanted to walk away from campus. And and maybe it's easier to do if you're a guaranteed first-round pick and you've got millions of dollars there waiting for you at the finish line. But I think that's something we're going to keep hearing, Sean, is 0-5 is not going to be what defines the Nittany Lions. The 2020 season is not what this program is. They want to prove that it's a, 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 a speed bump on the road to something better. They're going to have to go out there and, and prove it early in September but I thought it was just really interesting to, to, to hear you know, each of these guys in their own way kind of end up at the same conclusion and saying, yeah, I thought about leaving. It was something that we had conversations with, but I kept coming back and saying, whatever that was in 2020, I don't want that to be a part of my Penn State legacy. I don't want that to be the lasting image and the lasting taste in my mouth from my experience in Happy Valley. And a little added incentive, a little added motivation never hurt any program. Are you, are you gearing up for a revenge tour? Revenge, print the t-shirts now. <laughs> you know, I, I I get what they're going at here. I think the, again, I think it's a nice story. I think it's it's. I think there's some truth, some layer of truth to what they're saying in terms of you know their legacy and stuff. But at the same time, you're going to say, okay, um, you were on an 0 and five team, so why would you be a pro prospect? Why would you be a guy that we want to draft because of that? So I think that that's probably something that went into that decision. Um, you know, and these guys have been through a bunch together and, you know, not everybody came in at the same wavelength. It's, it's interesting. You mentioned those guys, um, because you had Dotson, who was a high school guy, Brisker, who was a Juco guy, Castro Fields, who's, you know, kind of like was, was a, a guy that played right away and that kind of faded away. So I, I think that a lot of different things will go into this. I'm not going to say that the FaceTime was a tipping point or anything like that because, you know, we, we heard at different points, you know, during the year. I think Dotson was the first one that we got buzz on was coming back. Actually, no, it's Castro Fields because I was looking through my text earlier. Castro Fields was the guy that, that we looked to coming back first, then Dotson, and then finally Brisker. So I don't know that it was one two, three type thing. Uh, but it, it, it's one of those, uh, it's one of those cool things that you could probably look back and, and, and maybe romanticize a little bit. Um, but at the same time, these guys are back to, to improve their stock. And I, and I gotta say, 
Jahan Dotson seems intent on being that, being the guy. You know, he's always been a guy. He's always been, you know, he's the number two to KJ. And we were wondering if he'd take a back seat to Fryermuth in last season. Um, and he, you know, became Penn State's number one receiver, became a very effective, uh, high level Big Ten receiver. I mean, he wants to be that, that Big Ten receiver of the year, that all American type guy. And there's, there's levels to, to the success that he's had so far. And I think there's, you know, still more to be reached before he gets to that ceiling. And I thought that, that's interesting to hear. You know, you, you always hear about, oh, so-and-so is on a mission and all that kind of stuff. And okay, it's overfluffed and overplayed and things like that. But it's uh, I think you could see this one playing out right in front of you. And it's pretty cool to watch. The word he used on the phone call this week, Sean, he wants to be legendary uh, at Penn State. He wants to he wants to be a Bobby guy. Ingram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he wants to when he, he wants to be someone who becomes synonymous with the top of the tier wide receivers that you, he says when you talk about running back at Penn State, you, you, you shift to Saquon Barkley. And that's particularly true, of course, for, for recent generations of fans. He wants to be that one, you know, the next name you go to when you talk about wide receiver. So still has a lot to do to get to that point here as, as, a, as a junior once again. Uh, but I mean, Jahan Dotson has come so, so far, Sean. I mean, not just what he's been able to do physically on the football field and some of the way he, he's been able to really showcase uh, versatility and a field stretching ability, things I wasn't sure we'd see from him at the college level, but just talking talking and expressing uh, you know, his role with this program, the way he views himself. This is, I mean, he is a guy that has come a long way. Uh, from the 18-year-old who, who flipped from UCLA and signed with this team and was kind of like a bit of an afterthought with the 2018 recruiting class in some ways. He was a big in-state pickup, but there was so much else going on that day, notably Micah Parsons picking Penn State officially, that Jahan Dotson was lost in the shuffle and you had Justin Shorter coming in at wide receiver and he had all that buzz. Here we are later and, and it doesn't sound outlandish for Jahan Dotson to say, I want to be legendary because it's within his grasp right now. They go out there. They have 12 games. Um, comments like that and comments like, you know, we don't want to be known for 0-5. Uh, they start to become much better stories when the success follows. And that's what we're going to learn this season if that happens. But there's a lot in play when it comes to the, the FaceTime between those three guys. That story gets a lot better if they get their retribution. And for Jahan Dotson, if he can build off of what we saw in 2020, and what a magnificent ride it was. I mean, when I think of 2020, there's a lot of stuff that wasn't fun to cover, wasn't fun for us to talk about after these games. Jahan Dotson brought a lot of fun to, to, to an otherwise uh, you know, season that, that, that flatlined at times. And, and we appreciated that, and I look forward to seeing what his next act is. I'm curious if Chip Kelly's gotten a fruit basket from James Franklin for that one because they, they totally mm. screwed that one up. And it's funny to think back. You, you mentioned kind of an afterthought. Obviously, he was a late ad and everybody in Pennsylvania knew that he was a really good football player, but, you know, wasn't sure if it would translate to the next level. Um, and, you know, he was in that class with Shorter and George. I, I, I kept thinking, I was actually thinking about this earlier today. You had Dotson in that class, that 2018 class, and it was expected to be the next big thing out of Pennsylvania with Dotson, Shaquan and Anderson Butts and Daryl Simmons. Uh, that's that's mm. all you know. That's a history book right there. Um, but Dotson ended up being the, the best. I, I thought he was the best to begin with, but Dotson ended up being the best. 
Shaquan Anderson Butts, I believe, is is still at Lackawanna, about to go to Hampton or, or something along those lines. And uh, Daryl Simmons, of course, uh, had an Achilles injury and uh, never really did anything at Virginia Tech. I believe he's in the transfer portal right now. So how far how far we've come from that stuff? That's uh, it's pretty crazy to think. And you know, I I guess whoever Dotson's been up against, whether it's those two guys that uh, were in Pennsylvania that they were always lumped against, or Justin Shorter and Daniel George, he's he's <laughs> he's left those guys in the dust. I mean, you look at the the way the program has whiffed on some of these recruiting classes, and 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 you just say, "Wow, good thing John Dotson panned out." Because you take him out of the equation, it gets awfully scary there. 2017 class, he had Hamler emerge, then he's gone very quickly. Got nothing out of the 2019 group. So uh, Jahan Dotson and his ability from freshman year to now, I'm telling you, Sean, just never really thought we would see him make some of the plays where he's racing past the defensive backs like he did during the 2020 season. I know we talked about his evolution at uh, he's a special player, man. He's, he's, he's a very, he's a very good player. possession receiver, isn't he? <laughs> man, uh, yeah, he's 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 broken the mold on on kind of what I personally thought he was going to be. Uh, you know, coming coming to the college campus versus what he actually is here near number four. Um, so we'll have a lot of time to talk about Dotson, but that was some of the some of the takeaways here from from Dotson and Brisker and uh, coverage of all that up on lines twenty four seven. We'll have more of that content coming your way here in, in the early days of April as well. Um, some recruiting stuff. Or actually, I see you do have a note here. Um, you're hearing some good things about tight end and and the veteran offensive lineman. I didn't want to uh, jump over that and get into recruiting. Um, what say you, Mr. Fitz? Yeah, not not a ton to add there. It's just the, those tight ends are good, man. Uh, just uh, I know it's a transition period with Bowen leaving and, and Ty Howe coming in, but uh, Brenton Strange and, and Theo Johnson, I think, are going to be really good in the sense that I think Brenton Strange is the starter. I don't know that that's like is set in stone right now. And you, and you think about all the, the football that he's been able to play. And he was obviously the second guy up after Fryermuth last year, but Theo Johnson seems to be coming for him and, and doing some really nice things there. Um, and then Tyler Warren's a kid they like a lot. It's just uh, those uh, Strange and Johnson are, are very, very good players. Tyler Warren has a little bit more time left to develop uh, on the offensive line. We got Mike Miranda last week. Miranda's playing center now. Um, really seemed encouraged about uh, what they're trying to do. I think guard is still very much a work in progress. Uh, that interior is going to be something that, that that takes all of spring practice and then uh, all of preseason practice to shake out. But they seem solid with Rashid Walker and Caden Wallace at tackle. And those are a couple of guys, when you ask around the, the building, who's uh, who's really looked good this spring, uh, Wallace and Walker are two guys. And obviously, everybody loves to have great tackles. They're two guys that, that people have pointed to. Theo Johnson's one. I, I just, I just can't shake the thought that that this kid's gonna be really hard to keep off the football field, regardless of how impressive Brendan Strange is. And and I don't need, I don't know who you're taking off to facilitate that, but um, I, you, Theo Johnson. There's a reason I picked him as kind of that that X factor uh, or the player to watch when we were having our conversation. So not not surprised to hear that. Um, and and by the way, Sean Tyler Warren, <laughs> it, 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 he's gonna be kind of separate from those two because we've talked about those two and they've played more you you hearing good things about Tyler Warren like hearing good things is in we're going to see a lot of Tyler Warren or hearing good things compared to him being a former Virginia Tech quarterback amid who's just still learning the tight end spot or is it is it time to invest in Tyler Warren stock or are we still maybe thinking 2022 is 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 the more targeted area there 
I would lean to 2022 just because I think those two guys in front of him are, are so good um, that it's going to be a gap between the the, the starter, or I guess, starter 1A and 1B, and then Warren. Uh, but he, you like the progress that he's been able to make. It's been very quick considering what kind of you expected with him uh, as a former quarterback, as a guy that, you know, was more of an athlete than, than a, a, a tight end prospect coming in. Um, but man, it's funny when you look at where this room is, because we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago with, with Pat in terms of uh, where that room was when he got here and where he left. Um, you know, if, if Tyler Warren gets here when Pat got here, I'm not saying he's going to play right away or do anything crazy right away, but he probably sees the field a little bit quicker. And that's kind of the, the product of the situation that they are in. Yeah. And does Brendan Strange, as Theo Johnson emerges as daughter in their first month, like, like Fryermuth did? I mean, it, it, you're right. It's, it's, it's really impressive. Uh, turning over to recruiting for just a bit here. We, we talked at length, uh, earlier this month about official visits taking center stage for the month of June. That continues to evolve. We've got a, an official visit tracker up, up on lines247.com. Um, commits are coming that final weekend. A bunch of targets are coming from the first weekend on of June. Um, and add Ryan Brubaker to that list, a uh, legacy offensive lineman here in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, and there's just, I mean, th- continues to grow. The, the names here, uh, Deny Dennis Sutton, uh, Ramon Brown, um, KJ Winston, uh, Omarion Hampton. I'm, I'm reading off your list here. Christian Driver, Darius Clemens. Th- th- there's a lot that I'm throwing your way. What stands out to you about the the ability for Penn State to lock these in and who was actually heading to Happy Valley if the NCAA finally allows it. Yeah, and we're still waiting on official word. And what's interesting there is, I think we covered this before the break was, uh, or before the before you went on vacation, was the the potential for working some of these guys out and getting you know getting evaluation days with these guys while they're on campus. I think that'll be important for a guy like Keon Wiley, who's set to visit in June. Uh, the the linebacker defensive end out of Philadelphia. You got to figure out how big these guys are, how they can move, what kind of growth potential they have, how they fit into the 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 defense that you're the offense or the defense that you're trying to uh, sort of um, forecast for them over the next couple of years. So I think that's an important thing. Um, but in terms of the official visits, I mean, you're, you're getting kind of a glimpse of, of Penn State's board here in terms of when they or who they want to bring in, who they're prioritizing. Obviously, the 25th uh, weekend is with the commits coming in, but those uh, first three weekends in June, and given how things uh, are going, you want to probably jam as many visits in there as you can possibly get uh, among priority guys right now with, you know, he's starting with Brubaker, but you look at that, uh, the the weekend of the 11th, uh, Deny Dennis Sutton, obviously a, the big name that, that we've been talking about for a very, very long time, um, but some new names in there, Ramon Brown, the running back. I think running back's going to be an interesting dynamic because you've got Nick Singleton um, coming up for a visit in June as well. Amarian Hampton, um, who, you know, he just had an ankle injury the other night, but it's, it seems like he's going to be okay in the long run. Um, so that's a part where you can, I don't know if I want to break out the dominoes just yet, but if you're going to take two and then all of a sudden one of those guys jumps on board, you've got some, some thinking to do some maneuvering to do. Um, so that's an interesting dynamic to that. Uh, you, you, you get different positions where you have play, you know, you have guys committed like wide receiver at Caden Saunders is committed. Anthony Ivy's committed, but you're going to bring in guys like Christian driver, going to bring in guys like Darius Clemens. Um, so, I mean, is there a little bit of sense of urgency there? I think that's a storyline to watch going there. And then there's positions that are wide open right now, like, 
like like safety, especially on the defensive side of the ball, like safety, defensive end, linebacker. Omar Graham's going to come up from Florida for an official visit. KJ Winston, a guy that I really, really like out at DeMatha, is going to come up for a visit on the 11th. So I think there's a lot of different subplots to June. It will, without a doubt, be the most interesting recruiting month to date in this 2022 cycle. And, uh, you know, really getting looking forward to it. And I think we're going to kind of be at a pause right now uh, across the country in terms of decisions and things like that, because guys see the light at the end of the tunnel. They see June, they can get out, they can get their free trips and actually check out uh, campuses and things like that. And I think they're going to say, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. I can wait another month and a half for that. You are seeing those decisions being delayed. I, I have found within the Penn State universe and the guys we're focusing on, but just on my Twitter feed, I'll see. You know, you're seeing, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on that decision I had announced because you can still make these visits, hopefully, and still come out with a decision, an educated decision before your senior season. And we know how important that is for prospects every year is to have things figured out before that first game of their senior year. And and and, and aside from all these top targets and the commits and. The, the, these notable names we've been talking about so long. What also is in the backdrop here, Sean, is the fact that you're having 2022 prospects who have not produced game film since 2019 when they were sophomores back on the field now in the spring, getting some games together, getting those clips together, and generating interest. The kid I spoke with just yesterday at a Stonebridge High School in Ashburn, Virginia, Carter Swayze. He's got an offer from Morgan State. He's got an offer from Navy. But all of a sudden, five games worth of film is up. Penn State, Virginia, Virginia Tech, all communicating with him and all kind of saying the same thing. We would love to see you in person. We'd love to get you up to a camp. So camps are a huge role here. I don't know what the restrictions might be. But again, this is a perfect example. Guys are going to pop up in a big way. Now that they're you know twenty, now that they're seventeen, eighteen years old, they're going to have a, a spring season. They're going to have a fall season. And last time we saw them was you know September, October, November of twenty nineteen. They may have been four inches shorter. They may have been sixty pounds lighter. These growth spurts are insane for a lot of these guys. We talk about it every single year on signing day, and some guys are starting to come out of the shadows. Yeah, that's the thing when you talk to coaches. Across the country, that that e word comes out. The evaluation uh, is so important for them because you you have so many data points that are that are so much more scattered, so much less precise in terms of you know heights and and length and all that kind of stuff. So I think that that's very interesting. Uh, we talked about camps. We talked about those personal evaluation days where you can have a kid on campus and work them out personally. I think those would be absolutely huge. Uh, but yeah, there's just so many things that, that it, it seems like it's going to come to a head and, and we're still waiting on the NCAA uh, to, to figure out what the next step is going to be with visits. But it seems like everything's coming to a head and uh, it's it's really – well, it's a breath of fresh air for us because I think we're going to have a lot of content to write <laughs> about. Uh, but at the same time, you're going to yeah. see classes maybe take off. You're going to see guys that will uh, you know maybe even take an official that – you're not going to take or you might not end up taking or may rub you the wrong way. You've never been around these guys. That's the thing. You talk about a situation where you can get to know the prospect via Zoom and all that kind of stuff. That prospect may be very different when he gets onto campus and you might have a guy that's fairly high on your list that comes in for an official visit one weekend and that might be the last time you talk to him because you decide, okay, we're going in a different direction here. So, And that's a little bit exaggerated there. But at the same time, the, the, it, there's so many 
moving parts and factors in this cycle alone uh, that makes it fascinating. And I'm, I'm interested to see how all this plays out because not only that, uh, not only do you have this sort of scenario playing out where you can go take visits in June, then the, the, the regular cycle, or excuse me, the, the rest of the cycle becomes a regular cycle. So you can still take those official visits in the season. Uh, you know, you can have a, a lash bash type thing in July. You know, it's just, it's kind of like you're, you're stalled out, you're stalled out, you're stalled out. And, you know, you take off and you sprint in June, but then you got to get yourself, uh, you know, you got to get yourself in the right pace for the rest of the cycle. It's going to be nice to, to actually interview a prospect after a campus visit i feel like we've for the last 15 months been talking about when you're able to take a visit oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be the floodgates opening and let's hope we're, we're right around the corner there sean because as you said uh, a lot of content coming our way we i think we've done a nice job working through this but this is going to be major uh summer if things go according to plan uh, for the ncaa and what we anticipate to maybe see happen uh always got to keep an eye on the transfer portal and uh, a notable name popping in there uh not too long ago one of the premier players in pennsylvania uh, sean you can take this one yeah, Tyke Smith from West Virginia is a guy that we were watching back in January to potentially enter the pro, uh, the portal. Uh, did not happen then. Uh, he got got into spring, uh, I guess spring practice at West Virginia. He was not practicing. He's in the portal now. Um, automatically going to be one of the highest rated, or excuse me, high, highly re- most highly recruited um, players in the transfer portal. Was an All Big Twelve selection. Uh, really give you some options back at, at safety, and obviously we know that Penn State needs options back at safety. You know, Enzo Jennings and Tyler Rudolph, they were described last week as guys that these are important off seasons for both of them. But Tyke Smith is a guy that you could plug and play right away. And, you know, I think you'd be pretty happy with the results. Um, curious which way, which direction this one's going to go. Penn State seemed like um, the obvious fit right out of the gate, but a lot of schools have gotten involved. Hearing a lot of Georgia, um, I, you know, that's been one of those things. Uh, of course, DeAndre Swift went down from Philly. Um, you know, so there's, there's connections there uh, from Tyke Smith's people in Philly. Um, so I think that's going to be something that's going to be a hurdle to overcome. Um, Auburn's been in there. South Carolina's been in there. Not sure what the uh, decision-making process is like. Don't, Brian Dome was able to catch up with him at the Imatep scrimmage last week and talk to him about you know what he's looking at. Depth charts are very important. This is a kid that wants to come in, wants to play a year, maybe two years if it's if year one doesn't go to plan, get to the NFL. So depth charts important in terms of development and things like that. He was certainly watching Penn State's Pro Day. I know he's he's retweeting my stuff from Penn State's Pro Day. Um, but the, this is going to be this is not a, a slam dunk for Penn State by any means. I know that some signals were out there early that it could be, but it's it's certainly not one of those things that you can uh, rest assured that that Tyke Smith will be starting alongside Jaquan Brisker just yet. So I think that's going to be a battle the next couple of days, possibly next couple of weeks until he can find out what's, uh, you know, what's out there for him. But I think Penn State and Georgia are the two. And I think that that's probably what it's going to come down to. I could really blow up a lot of what we just discussed about Jair Brown, if they're able to pull that off. Although uh, Jair Brown would have the entire spring practice portion to uh, impress his new coach. Smith would have to come in later on in the year if Penn State ultimately is able to, uh, you know, find that fit uh, for Tyke Smith moving forward. Uh, some hoops recruiting you wanted to address here, Sean. Um, obviously, while I was gone, a lot went down. Uh, we had Mark on on the most recent episode b- before my time away. Uh, he did a nice job, kind of uh, assessing the transfer portal market and and why it was so much influx for Penn State since that point. You've seen Micah Shrewsbury. Um, 
introduced as the head coach, talk about balancing the portal and the recruiting, um, some some points you wanted to get to, and, and of course, another Jason Oway nugget. Of course, that that was another one that you didn't flinch on when you were uh, on vacation. <laughs> um, but yeah, Micah Shrewsbury, kind of balancing portal and recruiting right now, trying to figure out some of those guys. Uh, you know, uh, Myron Jones obviously is gone. Uh, Jamari Wheeler's also gone. Uh, but you're still, you know, trying to figure out if you can get a guy like Seth Lundy back. I think he's an important piece. John Har. So uh, it's it's one of those things where he's balancing that. But on the recruiting side of things. Came back right away, offered Derek Lively, who's from right up the road in Belfont. Of course, his mom works in the athletic department. He plays um, at Westtown School uh, down near Philly. Uh, but a seven-footer who just would be a completely different player than anything we've ever seen at Penn State, I think. Um, and I don't think that, that that's exaggerating all that much. Um, a guy that you know is a legitimate draft prospect after a year or two. So um, I think that is something where you know you could chip away at that. It's going to be one of those things that uh, it, it will take a while. It would take it would take a heck of a sell job because he's got some legitimate options there uh, with some big actual basketball schools. Um, and then he offered Otego away um, and also at Blair Academy. A, you know, a little bit different. He's not the seven footer, obviously, um, but a great athlete, shooting guard guy that's in there. And then Jamil Brown is an interesting one to me. All these guys play together on Team Final. Uh, it's so funny because I'm a football recruiting guy through and through. Uh, Dushan London's been keeping me in the, in the mix and some other guys have keep me in the mix. This AAU stuff is is kind of crazy to me, how all these guys sort of consolidate on the one team and Team Final has become a, pro, a priority for Micah Shrewsbury. Jamil Brown was committed to Purdue because of Shrewsbury, opened it up after Shrewsbury left. So I think that, you know, you got to look at that and say, okay, the potential is there for him to flip. So uh, just a couple of basketball things. I know uh, a lot of our readers have responded positively to the basketball talk. Um, never, you know, it's a Penn State podcast, so it's never going to be completely focused on basketball. But at the same time, we like to, to get that in while we can. It seems like some some positive movement. I thought thought Shrewsbury handled his uh, introductory press conference very well this week. Uh, you know, a lot of the coach coach speak and administrator speak and things like that, but thought he handled himself well, carried himself well. I think he's going to do some good things, especially with, when you take into account that new coach bump that we see so often in football. I think that, that that's going to suit him well um, for his first, uh, at least first year in Happy Valley. Jamari Wheeler to Ohio State. That's something that uh, surprised you? Yeah. I mean, I, I knew he was gone. I mean, I, I didn't, I thought he was going south to, to be honest with you. Um, but uh, yeah, to Ohio State, that's uh, that's a kick in the teeth right there. Feels mean, little, sounds feels a little personal. Yeah, feels, it feels a little personal. Feels a little personal, and that's something that we've talked about before. These these outgoing players, not big fans of the administration and how everything was handled and things like that. So, I mean, if that's uh, if that's the way he's going to do it. That's the way he's going to do it. Well, it certainly seems like we hit on a bit of everything during this episode. Playing some catch up with the podcast. After a pause here in late March, appreciate our listening audience allowing Sean and myself a little bit of time to recharge those batteries. We're rolling into April feeling refreshed, ready to bring you full coverage of Penn State spring practices as they continue. Mark Brennan, of course, spearheading the basketball coverage as they're going through their transition. Um, so all that can be found on the site. You can find us here anywhere your podcasts are available. And you can chime in on the conversation by heading to Apple Podcasts and throwing in your five-star mailbag question. We look forward to turning your question into a topic on this show as soon as possible. On behalf of Sean, I'm Tyler. It's nice to be back. Nice to be with you once more. We'll do it again real soon. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.